So I just wanted to share with you really quick what God has been doing in, in Mexico City. Uh, through the partnership we have with you, we had the opportunity of planting a new church five years ago, right uh, around the time which uh, the partnership with, between College Wesleyan Church and Santa Rita started. And that church is ready to plant their new church plant too, also this next year. And then last year was a great, great year because in 2018 we saw the, the church uh, plant of Senda de Vida Tlaxcala, a new church two hours away from Mexico City. We have teams going there every weekend to try to sustain the church and develop disciples. And then last year also, we launched a new church plan in Mexico City to reach professionals in, in the city, which is called Verdad para las Naciones. Then on August um, last year, we sent Jose and Ailed to San Juan de los Lagos in the Jalisco state to plant a new church and that was a really special occasion because uh, for the first time after 15 years we had a roof on our building thanks to the partnership we have with you guys so praise God for that we are really, really joyful for that because that very day when Steve was preaching uh, at that day, we had a rain pouring down and we didn't need to run around, you know, sweeping the water. So it was really, really good to have that. And I want to share with you the good news that after four years of making disciples in the National Military Academy in Mexico City, which is um, illegal in some aspect, this uh, last Sunday, Cinco de Mayo, May 5th, we launch a new church inside the National Military College in Mexico City. We're super excited about that. Um, we praise God because this is happening because of the partnership we have with you. And we are really thankful to be partners with you in ministry. We also have 21 different projects from uh, local projects in Mexico City. We have projects working with immigrants moving in the train to the north. We're trying to get into hard places in the, in the world. And all this is because of what God is doing through the wonderful partnership we share with you. And we are really thankful for that. Let me share really quick a bit about Mexico, and it may be interest, interesting for you. Mexico has a really uh, syncretistic culture. It's a mixture of things that have been developed because of the streams to which, uh, from which Mexican culture is, um, is fed. Um, there are two main um, streams. You will see the, the stream of the pre-Hispanic culture in Mexico from the Mexicas and the Mayas and the Toltecas and Totonacas, these pretty old cultures. But then in the 16th century, we had the Spanish uh, conquest with Roman Catholicism. So what you see in Mexico today will be a mixture of these two streams of culture. So for example, in Mexico, we have the, the Tonantzin, which was the mother goddess. So when the Spaniards came, they kind of offered the same thing, but with a different name. So it became Virgen de Guadalupe, which in Roman Catholicism in Mexico, it's bigger than Jesus. It's, it's, it's the mother of Jesus. So if you have a problem with Jesus, you can go to his mother and you will be okay, right? <laughs> That's the idea behind the cult of, uh, of Virgen de Guadalupe, which is huge in Mexico. You so you see this mixture. Uh, an interesting thing is that there was a, a goddess called Mictlantecutli, which was the goddess of death. 
So what's happening now is that in Mexico, the cult of Santa Muerte, the holy death, has been growing. And I mean a lot. This is not uh, approved by the Roman Catholic Church, but uh, the cult of this uh, deity or uh, spirit has been growing a lot. The idea behind this is the fact that uh, if you will have any kind of problems, then this is uh, the, the uh, spirit you will want for that spirit to protect you. And the idea is that you will have people that will be, uh, you know, they believe in God and Jesus and Mary. They believe in Joseph, in St. Peter, St. Jude. And they may have some small stamp of Santa Muerte in the back of their wallet just in case. You know, just in case. But then you will see people that they will go to the shrine of the Santa Muerte and make pledges for protection and offer money. And actually, you know, they, they're more into it. But then there are others who will go all the way to build to this spirit their own shrine and ask a blessing on their statue of Santa Muerte by the high priestess in, in Mexico. This will take a really commitment to do that. But then, there are those who are totally devoted and they will get a tattoo of Santa Muerte. These are the guys that will go into a covenant with Santa Muerte. And the idea is uh, this, the guys that do, do, do these things are assassins, hitmans, sicarios from the narco cartels. And the idea is that the muerte, death, will protect them because they feed her souls. That's the idea behind it. But what I'm describing to you, it's only the leaning of the human heart to have different kinds of relationships with things. Right? We, I'm sure you can see these different kinds of relationships with sports in the U.S. maybe. That maybe that, that will be the, the case, right? So the idea here is that if we think of these things, we may have different levels of commitment to sports. We may have different level, levels of commitments in relationships. We can be interested in someone. We can be maybe, uh, uh, you know, involved with someone else or even really committed to, to someone else in our relationships. I see this as only the way in which it reveals the nature of our heart and we tend to orbit around things according to the value we attribute or give to those things. Uh, on some cases, we just orbit around and we can feel the influence of that thing, but it can never pull us completely into the, the gravity inside, but we can also not leave or, or feel free or break free from its pull. So we can think of a, as a planet with a heavy mass bending the time and space, pulling other objects into its orbit. So we do these kinds of things with our jobs, our ideas, our money, hobbies, but we do the same with Jesus himself. We tend to get either really close to him or we try to follow, follow him from afar. And I have found this really, really interesting. So if you were with me, I would like to propose you, there are several stages to 
through which we begin to follow Jesus. There's the first stage of the curious one. You know, the people that will be interested in Jesus. And they like things about Jesus, but they're not into it all the way to, to follow him closer. And let me give you an example on this. You will find the examples in the Gospel of Luke. So we have Luke chapter 9 describing, describing Herod's. So it's, it reads like this. When Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, heard about everything Jesus was doing, check, check out this. He was puzzled about Jesus. Some were saying that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. Others thought Jesus was Elijah or one of the other prophets risen from the dead. And then he said, I beheaded John, Herod said. So who is this man about whom I hear such stories? And then the gospel says, and he kept trying to see him. So, so you see, he's curious, curious about Jesus. And then this same man, three years later, when Jesus was arrested and Pontius Pilate was on a trial with Jesus, the, 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 the Bible tells us this, the, this next scripture in Luke chapter 23. Oh, is he a Galilean, said Pontius Pilate. When they said that he was, Pilate sent him to Herod Antipas because Galilee was under Herod's jurisdiction and Herod happened to be in Jerusalem at the time. Herod was delighted. Check out this word. He was delighted at the opportunity to see Jesus because he had heard about him and had been hoping to, for a long time to see him perform a miracle. See, that's the kind of interest a person like Jesus will bring in people. Yeah. Oh, I have heard he's a cool guy. I have heard he has power. But at this level of commitment, at this level of relationship, that's all there is. Curiosity. And I have met people inside churches for years that have a relationship with Christ at this level. They're curious about what Jesus is up to this time of year, you know? And they will get into, in, in close to Jesus to see what he will do. And this is interesting. He, Herod, asked Jesus question after question. But this is interesting to me. But Jesus refused to answer. This is interesting, right? Meanwhile, the leading priests and the teachers of religious law stood there shouting their accusations. Then Herod and his soldiers began mocking and ridiculing Jesus. Finally, they put a royal robe on him and sent him back to Pilate. Herod and Pilate, who had been enemies before, became friends after that. So what we see here, it's this level of relationship in which uh, you're pleased to be close to Jesus, uh, but actually you will get a confused version of who he really is. And I submit to you maybe that at this point, because I'm following Jesus from so far, there may not be too much answers to my questions. I will have answers depending on what other people say about Jesus. And there are quite a few people, especially in, in the West where we live, that are, 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 the version they have of Christianity is a version in which you follow Jesus from afar. That's it. It's interesting to me that uh, 
he will be maybe a, a miracle worker. You will hear about him from others, what others are saying. There may not be too much answers, but the most interesting thing to me is that the effect on your life because of that is minimum. There's an effect, but it's minimum. So instead of being me orbiting around Jesus, at this level, God is orbiting around me. He's, you know, on the side. And once in a while, as I'm living my life, he will pass in front of me. Oh, I will have an encounter with him. Once in a while. But then we have this other level of relationship, which is when you become involved with Jesus. By this, um, I mean the, the passage which has read in which uh, as the, the Bible reads in Luke, Luke chapter 9, as they were walking alone, Someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place even to lay his head. He said to another person, come, follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. But first, let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. So it's interesting because at this level, you actually have some contact with Jesus. He's close enough that you will be able to hear his voice. And you will have a distinction among your ideas. And when Jesus is speaking to you, he's talking to you. You will hear a call, an invitation. But at this level, I only follow Jesus toward it's either comfortable for me or safe for me. As we can see in the first invitation, right? There's a, a guy said, I will, I will follow you wherever you go. But when Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place even to lay his head. We don't hear the silence of Luke is intriguing, right? But it tends to try to suggest that the guy turn around and said, oh, this is not for me. It's too uncomfortable. I cannot see all the way in the front where is Jesus going. So the level of commitment when you're just involved with Jesus has clear limits, has uh, definitive uh, ideas or limits of what I'm willing to do. You are walking close enough that you hear the invitation. You have the desire to follow him wherever he goes, but there are limits usually because there's uncertainty in the future. And the limits are there, are set up by the value we give to Jesus. It's the value we attribute to him. So here you see uh, different than Eros because Jesus does have some answers if I, at this level. Jesus is challenging me to live the level of relationship that is just comfortable for me. Obeying God is not always comfortable. And if you have set the limit there, you are losing the majority of your discipleship life because we're trying to follow Jesus from afar. 
and the influence in our lives is not the same. So you can see clearly where the limits are. In the second example, here's the call, come, follow me, and check out this. The man agreed, right? He said, okay, I will follow you. But it's just something different here. He said, but, Lord, first, yes, but first. So at this level of commitment, there is always something that comes first. Always. I won't dare to say no to him. My answer is yes, but let me first. So you see, this is confusing because if you're in this stage following Jesus, being involved, and you see the people that are just curious, you're a walking saint, right? You could walk in water because these guys are just curious. I'm not Herod. I am saying yes to Jesus. But first, there is always something that comes first. So you see the challenge of Jesus when we are at this level of relationship is, come on, follow me. Let, me. let me show you actually what it looks like if we were willing to move one step further. Uh, let's read a passage again in the Gospel of Luke of Jesus taking one man that is in the involved um, uh, um, stage and he's inviting him to be committed, engaged with him. Let's read Luke chapter 18. I'm sure you're familiar with this with passage of scripture. Once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify, testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. The man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. So you could see that he was ready, you know. He was ready. Okay, you're approved. You're a disciple, official disciple now. But Jesus... With, with a heart of love, I can, I can imagine his look, uh, the, the look in his eyes, is inviting this man to move from involvement to commitment. And this is the invitation. When Jesus heard his answer, he said, there is still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then this this is the main invitation. It's not about the money. It's about the invitation of leaving that first thing behind and make Jesus first. That's the invitation he's giving. But when the man heard this, he became very sad for he was very rich. So you see, here we see a, 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 an attempt of Jesus, an invitation of Jesus of moving this man from, you know, the curiosity to the involvement and from involvement to commitment. And then as we continue to read, we have this conversation. When Jesus saw this, he said how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this said, then who in the world can be saved? 
He replied, this is the, the greatest thing. What is impossible for people is possible with God. So Peter said, check out, Peter is going into the level of commitment. We've left our homes to follow you. And we are familiar with that invitation, remember? By the sea, Peter, follow me. You will be fishers of men. And the gospel describes how these guys leave their nets behind and commit to follow Jesus closely for three years. The level of commitment. So Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times or in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. So this is the level of relationship in which Christ is the center of your life. You are heavily pulled into his orbit. Before the other two levels, I am the center and then Jesus orbits around me. But when I come to the committed stage, then Jesus is at the center and I begin to orbit Jesus as the center. That's what the disciples did. And at this stage, your life begins to be changed. You're committed. You are there, inter not just interested in Jesus. So what you see here is that if you're interested, you can be a Christian, but basically live for yourself. When you are involved with Jesus, I live for myself, but I ask God to bless my plans. Interesting, right? But when you're committed, I live for Christ. He is my life. So the question here for the rich man is, do you value me enough? as to make me your absolute number one. And the answer from this man was, no, no. It's not like you're God. That, that's what the question meant. Wait, wait, you're saying good teacher, good master? No, no, only God is good. What he's facing this rich ruler with is the question that if Jesus is God, then he's worthy of everything. So that's the actual answer needed in this stage. Who is Jesus for you? What's the value we attribute to him? You value Jesus more than your things and your riches and, and home. So following Jesus at this, this stage may cost you some things uh, and you're willing to leave those things behind for Jesus. You may be serving him, dedicating a big part of your time and resources to serve God as we see Peter doing. This is the kind of call Jesus was making people to become his disciples. That's the call he made to the 12. God doesn't want us to stay in the periphery. In the first two levels, we essentially see Jesus orbiting ourselves, but in this level, we now get a sense of who he is, and we begin to make him the center of our lives. What Jesus says to you, if, if you're in those different levels uh, at the first stage of being curious, come to me. If you drink what I'm going to give you, the water, you will never be thirsty. So that you can become involved. But if you're involved, Jesus will come to me and say, you must get your priorities straight. Am I valuable enough to you? But uh, I want this morning to, to submit to you the idea that 
even commitment has limits. Because if I am just committed to Jesus, to Jesus, that's a decision, a call I made. And um, how, why am I suggesting to you that commitment has limits? Because we see Peter saying to Jesus, we have left everything for you. What is there for us? Because we have left the house. And he was so passionate about this idea, being committed to Jesus. We are the ones following you, you know, all the way here, that he dared to say, Jesus, I will never, never, ever leave you. And you remember what happened? Peter was a, a, a speaker for the 12, right? I will never leave you. And then Jesus turned to him and told him, well, you know, before the, 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 the uh, cock sings, you will deny me three times. And Peter said, no, I will never do that. And you know the story. Peter fell miserably even at the level of commitment. Why? Because there's another one. There's another level. It's the surrender level in which I essentially have given up my entire life to Jesus. And I think God, Jesus, brought Peter from the commitment level to the surrender level, the devoted level after his resurrection. When Peter, check this out, Peter left his nets behind to commit to Jesus, but the nets were there available as a safety net. It's interesting that there were nets. <laughs> he left the nets behind, but he, as you commit to Jesus, what if things fail? What if he is not who he said he is? He's king, but somehow he's going into this city in which they want to kill him. So Peter and some other disciples left the nets behind as a safety net because in commitment, there's always a safety net. And that's exactly what they did. After the, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, Peter having denied his Lord, he went back to the nets to fish. We can read this in John 21. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, this is a simple question. Do you love me more than these? I submit to you that this here means the nets, the fish. Will you love me more than this thing that is holding you from being totally surrendered to me? And you know, Peter's answer, yes, Lord. Peter replied, you know, I love you. Then feed my lambs, my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. So he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then... Feed my sheep. And then this happens. I tell you the truth. This is the surrender level. 
When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But what happens at the surrender level? But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he will glorify God. Then Jesus told him, listen to this, follow me. Same call, same invitation that he's receiving from, from Jesus. So what we are seeing here is essentially the invitation of God to totally 100% surrender my life. Because in commitment, you have thought that you have given all, but it's still a decision in your hands that you can take away. But when you're at the surrender level, you have burned your bridges. There's, that's the point of no return. You can fail, it will be mistakes, but it's, if he comes to me and asks me, do you love me more than this? You have the answer. Even in weakness, you know that I love you. In commitment, it's about what I can do for you. It's about working hard, which is good. You need to make a decision. But at the surrender level, it's, it's something different happening. So you see, uh, surrender means absolute trust. Whatever he wants to do, whatever he wants to do through me, he's able to do through me. In the commitment level, you live for Jesus. In the surrender level, Jesus lives in you and through you. This is how Paul explained it. He said, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and give, give, gave himself for me. This is the level in which uh, you will see the difference between commitment because commit, commitment in some aspect is a decision of my will, which of course is necessary, but I, I am the one making the commitment. I am the one trying to fulfill it and I tend to walk on my flesh because of that commitment. But surrender, it's all him, it's not me. It's mainly the power of his spirit within me. I can live the way he wants because he's empowering me in his Holy Spirit. It's a willful, voluntary, deliberate, intentional, let go of my carnal efforts to please him, which is what Peter, what Peter needed to learn at this point. So I will propose to you that these different levels are levels in which we may find ourselves eventually. We, uh, we may be thinking about Jesus and then hear his calling to be involved. And it's, it's scary. But maybe if you're involved with Jesus, he's inviting you to get your priorities straight. He is God. Will you be willing to quit everything to follow him? But then at that point, point, since we are struggling with our flesh and to walk in the spirit, he will invite us to fully and totally surrender to him. And uh, just as a question, who are the kind of people you think changes the world? Surrendered disciples or interested, curious people about Jesus? 
Paul said it this way, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I am considered them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is, is, else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. So what we are seeing here is essentially the invitation of Jesus to live as a living sacrifice in which all my life is submitted to him. Uh, out of common sense, what kind of relationship would you like with your spouse? What, that she or he will be curious in you or involved with you or even committed? Or what about totally devoted and surrendered to, to marriage? It works. It has the most effect in our lives. So I really want to encourage you and invite you. What, what's Jesus telling you at this time? You might have found yourself in different stages and it's healthy. It's okay to, to be, continue moving through these stages of relationship. What is not normal, it's to stay in one and the same a long time. Just seeing Jesus from afar. He wants you to be so close to him that as the old Jewish blessing said, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi as you walk so close to him. Can I invite you to pray and consider what level of commitment Jesus had with you when he came to this earth? Was he curious about you? Was he involved? with you somehow? Was he willing to commit to you? Or, or does he surrender himself completely in that cross to die for our sins? I will invite you to pray. Father, this morning, several of us are hearing your call, are hearing your words, maybe in different aspects of our lives. Some people here are considering your invitation to follow you. And maybe some of us have a willingness, are willing to follow you, but we have things that come first. That today we may receive your grace and the power of your spirit to understand that actually the call you make are for the ones of us who are not in control of everything, that we don't have everything figured out. You, you love to call the broken. You love to call those of us who had a mess maybe in our lives, but the call is the same. You are calling every and every one of each of us to follow you closely, really close, so that you can transform completely our lives. We don't just want a change in some aspect of our life. We want a transformed life full with the power of your spirit. And I know there are a lot of us that are willing to submit to you. So I pray that your grace and your spirit will speak to us and invite us clearly to follow you closer, as close and closer as we get to know you and value as who you are. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.